בשם השם נעשה ונצליח, שיעור תורה, ברוכים הבאים. We're back here on our Tuesday night Jewish intimacy series. And uh, tonight's show, Bezat Hashem, is going to be for the Refua Shlema and Atzlacha Rabba, for uh, Rabbi Ephraim uh, Ben uh, Shulamit, Rabbanit Sarah Bat Anat, Rabbanit Levana Bat Sarah, Avi Mori David Ben Nesriya, Imi Morati Doris Bat Jora, and all of Am Yisrael and all the righteous Noahides and all of the soldiers of Am Yisrael that are fighting in this war, both on the uh, physical and the spiritual end as we speak. Uh, tonight's uh, show is going to have a lot of uh, interesting things that I know that many of you have been waiting for in regards to the uh, matters of intimacy. Uh, but just to give you guys an update before we get started into the show, anyone that wants to get some of the uh, new book that we have that's uh, both in English and in Hebrew that is uh, for uh, him and her, uh, meaning both for a man and a woman, uh, especially people that are uh, couples or newly married uh, or uh, just simply going through uh, life and need some uh, guidance. Rabbi Ephraim and, the, and his Rabbanit put together a fantastic book that uh, could certainly help anybody that reads it. Uh, so this is available for free in our Kiruv store. You just go to uh, kiruvstore.org uh, and you could just order yourself a box uh, of 20 of them so you could uh, get one for yourself as well as distribute to your uh, friends and family in the community. Uh, as far as uh, the other uh, products in the uh, store, uh, the USBs, the Kiruv cards for Tikkun Abrit, all of these things are fantastic uh, to, uh, to get yourself and distribute right now, uh, especially during this time of Shovavim, uh, where uh, each person needs to do as much as possible as far as Tshuva, uh, whether it's doing uh, you know, a Tikkun or even signing up to do uh, one Tikkun a month or more. Uh, and uh, certainly to help other people do tshuva for Tikkun Abrit. Anyone that wants to learn more about the topic can go to tikkunabrit.live. Uh, uh, that's uh, T-I-K-K-U-N-H-A-B-R-I-T.live, and uh, you can see a whole write-up over there based on the writings of the uh, Zohar, the Kabbalah, Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, and different uh, places in the Torah, that uh, discuss this matter, especially in regards to the whole uh, tikkunim. I know that some of you, Baruch Hashem, have uh, taken that upon yourself at this time, which is a very smart uh, step to take, but uh, certainly there is uh, more to do than, uh, than just the tikkun. Obviously, we have to do tshuva, and part of our tshuva, as uh, the uh, Rashi and both uh, the Ramban uh, both say in the beginning of Parashat Kedoshim, where Hashem commands us to be holy, where He says, Kedoshim tiyu ki kadoshani, you be holy because I am holy. This, Rabotai, uh, is in regards to not only staying away from the forbidden, but also when it comes down to the things that are permitted. And uh, during this last almost 40 lectures that we've done in this series of Jewish Intimacy, Many people that have actually taken it upon themselves to, you know, watch these lectures, study them, apply whatever they can to their life have always seen a change. It's literally guaranteed change, guaranteed improvement in your life. But one of the things that uh, perhaps, you know, we, uh, we delved into a little bit uh, and we will again uh, tonight is uh, really, number one, what kind of children are you going to produce? You know, if uh, you know, even though intimacy 
is a twofold mitzvah where you have one uh, mitzvah for the uh, you know the Jewish man to be with his wife just for the sake of being with her. This is one of the things that he signs off and promises to do uh, on the ketubah when they get married. Uh, so that's that, that mitzvah. And then there's the second mitzvah for those that are still able, uh, which is to bring children to the world. But uh, the problem is that uh, many people look at the world today and they see that we live in a uh, post-sexual revolution generation uh, where uh, after the evil writings of, uh, of uh, Alfred um, Kinsey, uh, published in 1948, that uh, spearheaded the uh, worst, most disgusting and vile revolution that mankind has seen since Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, and uh, you see now today that there are many, many people that are uh, almost to the point where they're, uh, you know, either regretting having kids because the kids are giving them uh, pretty much uh, gray hairs in their 20s already, uh, or they're, uh, there's just problematic kids, there's all types of health issues, ADHD, uh, and all types of other uh, issues have become practically standard. Uh, you have schools giving, uh, you know, uh, uh, medicines to kids as a condition, as a prerequisite in order to allow them to go to the school. Autism has become much more rampant and standard. Uh, now, what does this all have to do with uh, Alfred Kinsey, Machimo, and uh, the sexual revolution? And uh, needless to say, what does that have to do with Jewish intimacy? Everything, everything. And this is one of the things we're going to see. The other thing that uh, certainly... I, uh, we have to address is uh, the issues of intimacy, of course, are very particular. Everyone has to uh, know, as I said already from the beginning of this series, has to know where they stand, where initially uh, all of this is going to be new to us. And much of it is going to seem unreachable. You know, a person ha barely has the wherewithal to have kavana and the proper intention when he's putting on tefillin when he's making a blessing to eat, now you're telling him that he has to have even more kavana when in the most physical moment of his life, in the most intense moment of his day, this is when he has to have kavana. So for many people, this is very difficult and if not impossible. But again, as we've said from the beginning, no one is expecting you to adopt all of it into your life on day one. And in fact, some of it you may never be able to adopt into your life. But certainly this is something to aspire to. Certainly this is something to learn from. And certainly there are some things that all of us can take and apply to our life. Especially when we know that there's so much riding upon it. Now, for anyone that is still single and is in the shiduch, uh, times, this is certainly very important for you to learn. Why? You need to know how to be a wife. You need to know how to be a husband. Not just the one that provides and buys more houses and more jewelry uh, and more groceries, but rather someone that actually knows what is it? What do you need to do in order for you to fulfill your obligation as a husband on a, when it comes to intimacy? Same, uh, same when it comes to uh, the, the wife. Secondly, a person needs to understand that while everything is allowed, so long as the seed goes into the reproductive organ, there are also levels that a person can elevate themselves in order to not make it so animalistic, if you will. 
uh, really do things that are more for the sake of heaven. And again, everyone in their level. So the Ramban has taken us on this extraordinary journey of holiness. But of course, we always have to remember that if we have not done the prerequisite, if we have not done the prerequisite, which we've discussed over the last month, uh, month more extensively than we have in the last uh, year or so, which is in regards to the issues of morality, protecting your breed, being modest, uh, a person obviously has to run away from you know things that are immoral, whether it be wasting seed or promiscuity or any of those things. If a person is still promiscuous, whether with self or with others, if a person is still walking around immodest, if a person is still uh, saying and listening to vile things, uh, then full of uh, swear words, then certainly none of this is going to be possible for you. You're not going to be able to reach any level of holiness. And in fact, uh, you should stay tuned uh, to hear some of the consequences uh, of uh, what would happen. Why? Because anytime you just tell people that you need to do X, Y, Z, if you don't really give them any type of motivation, whether on the good side or the negative side, then you leave them pretty much up to their own uh, you know, logic to decide whether they want to take this on or not. Now, if you only tell them the good parts of something, a person could easily choose to simply say, listen, I like the good that would come from this, but it's just not worth it for me. Why? It's too hard. It uh, takes too much time. It's too expensive or whatever the case is for whatever matter you're talking about. On the other hand, when you tell people the consequences that are negative, if they don't do what they're being told to do and what they're being taught to do or even just simply recommended to do and they realize that if they don't do this then there is going to be dear consequences and those consequences are much more significant than they even thought possible in fact those consequences are inevitable in some cases and many people simply don't uh, c consider them just like uh, you know the people that uh, consider you know, chasing money to be their number one objective in life, not realizing that that uh, zealousness for, uh, for, for money, for, for wealth, for success uh, may very well be good in the business world, but in the spiritual end, it's almost guaranteed that you're going to be destroying yourself as many have before you and many have, uh, many will after you. Why? Because everything comes at a price. Even for people that are extraordinarily holy, like the Kabbalist, you know, we know one uh, particular Kabbalist that, uh, as I've told you guys, uh, short stories about him in the past, where he literally deals with Kabbalah Masit as an extraordinary holy person. He's the one that uh, uh, we got a very, very special mezuzah from. It's one of a kind. It's never uh, been uh, written before. We've been trying to convince him to do another one or a few. Perhaps we have some special students that. Uh, uh, would want uh, one of those, but uh, we have another uh, Mekubal that does our mezuzot, but they are certainly on a lower level just because of what it takes to write this special mezuzah. But anyway, one of the reasons why uh, the, uh, this mezuzah or kameot or different things that he deals with, uh, he had to stop for some time is because when, the higher you get when it comes to the mystical aspects of Torah, the more you uh, uh, 
make yourself susceptible to major damage. Hence the reason why there are major tragedies in all of the Mekubalim's lives, whether it's, say, you know, their children dying, their wives, uh, major crisis, health issues. Uh, there's no end to the horror stories that uh, was, in essence, the price they had to pay. They still thought it'd be worth it. It's something that was deeply rooted within their neshama. But as I mentioned, as I talked to this one particular uh, uh, tzaddik, uh, where he said he had to stop because there would be certainly things that uh, were just too pricey, much more than just money. So the point being is that when a person understands that everything that they do comes with a price and uh then they could make an educated decision of whether that price is worth it or not. But so long as a person walks around ignorant and uh, like a blind man in darkness and not realizing that uh, each and every single action that they take has consequences, especially the dear consequences, then unfortunately they'll be uh, unpleasantly surprised in their life. And uh, this is, uh, you know, this is something that has become standard. So the Igeret HaKodesh is taking us on this journey to let us know the importance of sanctifying ourselves during the moments of intimacy, in preparation for intimacy. And of course, the Ramban is not just coming here and telling us, listen, you should do all of these things because I think it's a good idea. Uh, In fact, it took the Ramban six chapters to finally get to this particular moment, which is going to talk about the actual act itself. As in fact, not just the act, but the climax. The climax of the act when there is a seed coming out of the male, when there is a seed, for lack of a better word, from the female, from his wife. And in essence, you know, this particular moment is what many people want to talk about right away. Just like, you know, a person sometimes will uh, put on tefillin without thinking about all the kavanot they need to have or even just simply the, the proper mindset. They just want to get over with. They just want to put it on and they're already thinking about as soon as I finish this, I'm going to get to work. I'm going to have the, uh, the meeting at the office and then I have to go to the restaurant. And, and they're already thinking about the end of putting on their tefillin. They, the Shabbat just started. They're already thinking about Motzei Shabbat. The holiday just started. They're already thinking about Chola Moed. You know, the, uh, they're fasting during Yom Kippur. And you tell them, listen, Neila is right now. Neila, the most critical part of the entire day of Yom Kippur. He's already thinking about all of the cookies and cakes and pastas he's going to eat after the fast. People want the outcome. People want the end result. And it's funny, sometimes people say, listen, I, I want to be a, you know, a rabbi, I want to be a speaker, I want to do something like you, I want to be like Rabbi Ovadia. People want the end results, but they don't realize that what you're seeing is an outcome of a lot. And people don't realize what a lot is when it comes to the spectrum of Torah. And to give you just some food for thought, when... Uh, People tell me that, uh, you know, they, uh, they've learned a lot of Torah and they're proud of themselves, or at the very least, they want you to be proud of them and they try to flex their uh, muscles, uh, telling you how they read all of these books. 
99 out of 100 times, and I would say 99 out of 100 times just simply because I haven't met the whole world, uh, but pretty much every single person I've met uh, that has done such a thing usually is a lot smarter in their own eyes than they are in reality, is a lot more learned in their eyes than they are in reality. And this is not necessarily always because of arrogance. This is not necessarily always because of evil intent. It's just simply because of ignorance of how big the Torah is. You know, we had uh, one young man that's uh, Baal Tshuva for several years telling me all of the people that he's meeting, even if they went to yeshiva, he already knows more than them. And I said, well, perhaps it depends who you're comparing yourself to. Uh, if you're comparing yourself to people that are modern and, uh, you know, attend yeshiva just for, you know, in order to stay away from intermarriage, then, you know, you're comparing yourself to people that are not exactly the best representation of what a yeshiva institution is supposed to do. If you compare yourself to some of the higher level yeshivot in uh, in Israel, even in America, in Lakewood, in Muncie, places where there are serious learners, I can show you some of my, our own Talmidim at our event. We had several dozen young boys that are below the age of 13 that completed the entire Shas Mishnah in a single year. One kid finished it in six months. Have you completed the Shas Mishnah? No, not yet. I have dozens of Bachurim, Avrechim, that completed the entire Shas Bavli in a single year. Have you completed the Shas Bavli? No. We have young kids that have completed the entire Shas Bavli at 15, 16 years old. So if you're comparing yourself to them, there's really nothing to compare. Perhaps you know a lot from the lectures, perhaps you're a good person, but as far as to say that you already know as much as you think you know, you have to know where you stand because you're not realizing how big the Torah is. Same went with somebody else that, you know, this first person understood it and took it in a very positive way and Baruch Hashem for that. But there are sometimes that people take this type of reality check in a very offensive way or very defensive where one particular person told me, listen, I know all of this, I completed this, I read the entire Ramban, I, oh, let's relax. Do you even know all of the Ramban's work? Because he assumes, because he bought some books that have commentary by the Ramban on the Chumash, he assumes he knows the entire Ramban. He read the Geret Ramban, the little short letter that the Ramban wrote to his letter full of Kedusha, full of Musar that he did, we did a uh, whole series on, and he figures he read the whole Ramban. But Rabotai Karim, the Ramban was one of the few Rishonim that literally wrote about everything. Dozens and dozens of Sfarim. And they're not all just simple Musar that you could easily apply to your life, where if you look at some of the Ramban's uh, um, commentaries, you have the commentary on the Chumash, commentary on the Talmud, but you also have his responses, whether it's the Mishpatei Acherem, or the Ilchot B'dika, uh, or it's the Torah Adam. These are different responses that you literally have to toil over for years, just to understand what's even being written there. If you're looking at uh, his uh, defense of, uh, uh, of Rav Shimon Kayara or Rav Al-Fasi, the Milchamot Hashem, the Milchamot Hashem was a, one of the uh, monumental works of the time 
and of the Ramban's life. The Sefer HaSchut, the, uh, the Sefer HaSagot, these are some of the works that many people have never even heard of unless they're Talmidei Chachamim that have literally dedicated years and years of their life to learning just the Ramban. Needless to say, the rest of the Torah. His drashot, his Sefer HaGeulah, Igeret HaMusar, Igeret HaChemda, the Vikuach, which is the debate with, the, uh, uh, in, in, um, with Pablo Cristiani in Barcelona, his commentary on Sefer Job, or the Sefer Yov, is Biur and a Pirush on the Torah, and of course the Igeret HaKodesh. So you're talking about literally dozens and dozens of volumes that the average person is not aware of. Now why am I telling you all of this? Because in preparation of writing this Sefer of Igeret HaKodesh, and needless to say, in preparation of arriving at this moment of talking about and teaching us about the climax between a man and his wife, the Ramban took all of that Torah that he has learned, that he has written about, that he has taught, and applied it to these points. Now, we cannot just go and learn all of the Ramban's uh, uh, Torah before we go to this point in reality. But at the very least, when a person understands how much goes into this, how much thought, how much wisdom goes into this, they'll understand that just simply turning it into a, uh, uh, you know, something that you think is easy to do or needless to say, something you should ignore is not the wisest thing in the world to do. So the Ramban here tells us, to summarize, when you have inspected yourself to ensure that you are properly ready for marital union, see that your wife's mind is in agreement with yours. Here the Ramban is telling us that a person needs to know that intimacy is something you have to prepare for. There are some people that are very dedicated to Kedusha, that literally pray before they actually take the act. She'll read some Tehilim, he'll uh, read some Torah, he'll pray, he'll also read Tehilim, they'll pray a little bit. It's not like the uh, filthy movies that are out there that uh, are the outcome of uh, the work of pedophiles like Alfred Kinsey that, uh, you know, are, that's motivating them. But rather, they know that they're about to take something very serious on. Now, it's not something that is supposed to minimize the excitement and the pleasure. Quite the opposite. But a person needs to know that if they want to attain Kedusha, it cannot be purely based on the physicality, purely based on the lust, purely based on the physical need and desire there has to be more. And here says the Ramban, you have to check yourself and ensure that you're ready. Number one, you're physically ready. You haven't eaten anything inappropriate that would actually cause you to uh, have difficulty with performance. You haven't eaten anything di- uh, that uh, you shouldn't eat for different reasons that we discussed early in the series. You have obviously kept your uh, hygiene you know, uh, at par, 
and you're not one of these people that's a walking garbage pail, you're not going to disgust her. He, you, you know, you're not going to disgust him. You know, all of these things have to certainly be taken into consideration. But also, in addition to all of the hygiene, in addition to the physical aspect of it, and the capabilities of a person, the Ramban is telling us, see that your wife's mind is in agreement. Meaning, she has to be willing. She has to be willing. You can't force it upon your wife. Now, of course, if you're married for long enough, you're never always going to be on the same page at the same time. There are certainly going to be times where one is in the mood while the other is not. But certainly, that doesn't mean that just because someone is not in the mood at the same time that you're that the other is, then that's a no-go and that's a uh, that's it, close, uh, close doors. No, you inspire each other to get into the mood by realizing there's more to it than just a physicality, by realizing that they're not alone in this relationship, by realizing that it's not always possible to be on the same page. And therefore, a good woman is going to find a way to be together with our, wife, with our husband. And a good husband is going to be finding a way to be together with his wife when they desire, when they're in the mood, and get themselves there, even if they're not at their best. They could certainly get to a better place than simply saying no and creating some type of fake headache or creating some type of fake tired or creating some type of excuse where, in so many words, you have to wait a whole month until you have an opportunity to be together. Some people don't realize how damaging uh, these types of uh, uh, things are where, you know, before you know it, if you've made enough excuses to postpone intimacy, eventually become accustomed to it where one of the people just simply becomes self-conscious about it. Where she doesn't want to ask anymore. She doesn't want to talk about it anymore. She doesn't want to be it together anymore. And she suffers inside, which could literally lead her to simply just no longer desire her husband. They become roommates. And vice versa. He has been rejected so many times that he simply no longer asks. He just finds another way. Another inappropriate way to satisfy himself, not realizing that this is not only destroying his eternity, it's also destroying his marriage, and now the only parts that he has left with this relationship is that he lives in the same house. So what ends up happening is that all of the frustrations of living with somebody, of disagreeing with somebody, of uh, going through life troubles with somebody is the only thing that they have left. Hence the reason why they're constantly fighting. Hence the reason why they simply do not get along. Because there's nothing that brings them together physically and emotionally. And needless to say, uh, you know, bringing them together spiritually. You're not going to have a uh, spiritual connection if your only connection is uh, when he or you uh, say divrei Torah on Shabbat. It's simply not enough. Intimacy is a very important part of Jewish marriage and every marriage for that sake. So the Ramban is telling us that once you've determined that you are properly ready for that marital union and your wife's mind is in agreement with yours, we can move forward. Know this. When you unite with her, do not rush 
to arouse your desire until your wife's mind enters along with her on the path of love and let her climax first so that her seed be the matter and your seed be the form. Here the Ramban is telling us not just a secret to having a successful uh, intimate act, having something that uh, certainly is going to uh, be uh, something that you'd want to repeat, something that you want to build on, something that's going to be certainly much more uh, uh, pleasant for both parties, but he's also giving us a secret from the Torah of the true ladies first. You know, the secular world has this fake uh, form of, of, of uh, respect where they say ladies first, even though, unfortunately, there are very few women out there that act like ladies when, with their no arms and no legs types of, uh, types of clothing that they forget at home. And there is very f- few people that actually really believe in ladies first without some type of hidden agenda of doing something else with that so-called lady. So the real ladies first... Rabotai is what the Ramban is talking about, which is coming from the Torah. He's telling you, when you unite with your wife, don't rush to arouse your desire. Don't be in a hurry to just simply get your fix, your climax, your purpose physically. You have to be patient. You have to get your wife to reach her climax before you when possible. Now, this is not necessarily all pos- always possible for different reasons, sometimes for health reasons, sometimes uh, it's simply not uh, working. And for obviously, we know that you know there are some people that take longer than others. There are some people that are more difficult than others. But the point being is, is that here the Ramban, like the entire series, is telling you this is the ideal. This, is, this should be the goal. And it should not be ignored. Why? Because if you let her climax first, then her seed will become the matter to your seed becoming the form. What does that mean? If you remember earlier on in the series... The Ramban, in essence, gave us the analogy of a painter painting a painting. There's the canvas, which is, in essence, the woman and her, uh, uh, her emission. And then there is the seed, which is the man. He says, if you allow this to happen in this order, then you have allowed yourself to see the verse from the Torah in the book of Leviticus, chapter 12, verse 2, be fulfilled where it says, when a woman has an emission and gives birth to a male child. Meaning that if you want to bring male children to this world, this is the way. You have to make sure you wait and your wife is before you. Now, this is not to say by any means that having girls is bad in Judaism. Quite the opposite. The uh, 
the salvation of Am Yisrael in Egypt was due to the merit of the righteous women. And the sages teaches that the salvation of, of, of is going to come of the Mashiach is due to the merits of the holy women. But the point is, is the reason why in Judaism it's constantly noted that uh, you know a person should uh, have male children, as it says at the end of the Gemara in Masechet uh, uh, Kiddushin. Praiseworthy is the one who all of his boys are males, and oi to the one that his boys are uh, feminine. So on one end, the basic meaning is the fact that if he has boys, if he has uh, uh, male children, then those male children are subject to fulfilling many more mitzvot than the women are. In essence, they are soldiers that have many more responsibilities to serve their creator, whether it's praying in the morning and in the afternoon and then at night versus only one time a day, putting on tefillin, learning Torah every single day, brit milah, protecting their brit, you know, all of these different mitzvot that only uh, the, the men are responsible for. So there are more ways to sanctify Kadosh Baruch name when somebody's a male, uh, born a male, can't become a male. But uh, whereas the mitzvot that the women are responsible for are lesser. This doesn't make them lesser. It simply means that they have less responsibility. So if you have a way to serve Hashem in more ways, certainly you want to do that. So the Gemara says, praiseworthy is the one that is boys are male. And oi to the one, woe to the one, that they're female. What does that mean? On a second note, the deeper meaning is also to teach us about the problems that we have throughout all of the history, needless to say, in our generation, where the sexual education that people have till this day is based on the works of one filthy, disgusting creature named Alfred Kinsey, uh, that uh, in 1948 published a works uh, where he, in essence, did a study and tried to tell society here in America and thereby around the world, all over Europe, even China, and uh, what is the truth of sexuality about the male, and then later on he published another work about the female. Now, this sounds all, you know, wonderful until you see some of the findings that were exposed later on of what he actually did and what it entailed. And this sick person literally didn't just write things based on papers, based on theoretical knowledge, but rather hired a bunch of pedophiles who did their evil on thousands of children in order for him to observe, document, and even record the impact in order for him to put it in his research. Some of his pedophile uh, employees were even Nazis. And he documents, oh, this four-month-old child climaxed how do you know that a four-month-old kid climaxed? This four-year-old climaxed 25 times in 24 hours. That's torture. That's torturing a person. And this Rabotai became the backbone of 
sexual education in textbooks, in schools, all over America, until this day. In fact, until that time, this country was a relatively conservative country, founded based on the so-called Judeo-Christian values. Many of the religious Christians remained virgins until their marriage, until this book came out. And when it did, it revolutionized the country, it revolutionized the mindset of people, because in so many words, he told people that in reality, nobody is what they say they are, everyone is perverted, homosexuality is standard, uh, pedophilia is practically a preference. Uh, He normalized all of the filth that we have in the world today, well before we realized it was supposedly normal. Now, of course, this is all based on, you know, uh, research that is not valid research, research that is based on rape, research that is based on pedophilia, research that is based on things that are illegal. But needless to say, this monster got into everyone's textbooks, got into everyone's house, got into everyone's television. All of Hollywood is based on this. The pornography spearheaded from this. And in fact, one of the uh, most uh, devoted students to Kinsey was a, uh, a young man that was a virgin that uh, had some self-respect until, until he read this book and he decided that now that he knows the so-called truth about human sexuality, he's going to be the so-called flag, the banner boy for Kinsey. And he started a company called Playboy. His name was Hugh Hefner. So, These things, Rabotai, are what the world's knowledge is based on today, when it's not based on the Holy Torah. So in that world of vile sodomy being standard, people have made animalistic desires, animalistic behavior, the norm. So when you tell them that... When you unite with your wife, let her climax first for this higher purpose. This negates the mindset and the normalcy of society. Why should I wait? I'm there to enjoy myself. If she gets to enjoy herself too, in time, before I do, good for her. If not, not. And unfortunately, Rabotai, this all has consequences. Not only are we seeing that pedophilia, according to some speakers that had literally been given the stage at TED in recent years, pedophilia has become a sexual preference rather than something that's illegal and vile and against all logic and humanity. This leads to pornography becoming standard, so much so that there is someone that calls themselves a former rabbi that recently purchased a, the number one pornography company in the world. So much so, Rabotai, that there is more money and time being spent on pornography than practically anything else. People are willing to do everything for it. So much so that everyone has recently confirmed 
after suspecting for many years that practically every major leader, whether it be here or elsewhere, is involved in some way or another in some form of immorality and some to the extreme immorality such as pedophilia, prostitution, and all of these disgusting things that everyone agreed was disgusting throughout all of history until the last 70 or 80 years. Now, here the Holy Ramban is trying to paint a holy, beautiful picture in a very dirty world. So naturally, the average person is going to have to adjust a whole lot in order for this to become even possible for them to think about, needless to to say to do. But that's why the Ramban is telling us there are verses in the Torah, meaning God said it, not the Ramban. God said it, not the other sages. God decreed it for the body to work in such a way, for the spiritual world to work in such a way. This is not something that's of opinion, but rather we literally have sources from the Torah that tell us that when this is done in such a fashion, you're not only creating more holiness, more connection between the husband and the wife, more spiritual and physical connection, and even pleasure, but also you could actually even create something much more special than you could even value until you see it with your own hand, which is a holy child. Now, even though every child is valuable, every child is something special, especially to their parents, parents that have had difficult kids with all types of medical conditions, or parents that simply you know, had uh, kids that didn't have medical conditions, but they were just simply problematic kids, or even people that grew up with siblings like that, that had all types of difficulties, whether it be medical, so it be uh, uh, spiritual, or any other difficulty, they could certainly value what this can bring, much more than a person that just thinks they know everything, because they're not considering everything aside from their current knowledge. So the Ramban is telling us here that the Gemara in Masechet Brachot, page 60a. This is the first Masechet in the Shas. But also the Gemara in Masechet Nida, in page 25b and also in page 31a, says that a woman who releases seed first bring boys to the world. If a man releases his seed first, then a female comes to the world. As it's written in the Torah, in the book of Leviticus, chapter 12, verse 2, when a woman has an emission and gives birth to a, a male child. So now, great, you brought a child. You brought a male child. He's capable of doing more mitzvot. So what? What kind of child is he going to be? Is really the bigger question. Not just what gender he's going to be, because he could be male, but a problematic child. It could be female, but a child that you wish you never had. Not because of the gender, but simply because of everything that comes along with that attitude, with that mentality, with that behavior that you never thought was even possible when there was this tiny little cute eight-pound baby. So 
what kind of child is it going to be is even more critical than simply the gender. Because many times you're led to believe that you need to get married. And very little education is given to you about what is marriage. So you want to get married. But you want to get married because you want somebody to live with, you want someone to buy a house with, you want someone to pay the bills with, you want to have somebody that to have children with. But if that marriage is following the ADHD generation, the post-sexual revolution generation, the immorality generation, then that marriage is much more likely to be unholy than holy, which means that it's more likely to be a divorce, it's more likely to be a marriage full of fights, more likely to be a marriage full of different types of problems, more likely to be a marriage that, at the best case scenario, you're decent roommates. That's not an ideal marriage, and if someone were to tell you this will be your marriage 15 years before you got into it, you would say, listen, I'd rather just stay single. When someone has a holy marriage, you're talking about someone that is able to build kedusha to such an extent that physically, emotionally, and spiritually, the, the connection grows in perpetuity, forever. The love for each other grows forever. The affection grows forever. The connection grows forever. Despite the difficulties, the ups and downs of life, and whatever circumstances Hashem sends your way, the connection between the two in a holy marriage only improves. Whereas the connection in an unholy marriage, quite frankly, was never really strong enough to stay. And it's surprising it stayed that long. And in Shemaim, they're not surprised that it ended up in a divorce or in adultery or in some other disaster. Why? Because it was unholy. There was never really been a marriage that was done the proper way. People say, yeah, but I want to have children. Everyone wants this cute little baby or two or 20 of them. But what happens when that baby grows up? And he's not this cute little five-month-old baby that you can feed like a doll. And he smiles once in a while and that makes your whole day. What happens when he talks back and has ideas? And she has ideas and they want to do stuff. And maybe people say, yeah, well, you know, as long as I send them to a good school and I give them uh, what they need, everything's going to turn out. Well, that's not necessarily always the case because if it's in a unholy marriage, the likelihood of there being physical as well as spiritual problems is much, much higher. And that has to do with the lack of holiness in the marriage and in the consummation of the marriage, and in the act of intimacy during the marriage. Whereas in a holy marriage, 
the likelihood of there being spiritual elevation where a kid literally can be like this one avrech that I know has a six, seven-year-old kid that has completed almost three-quarters of the entire Mishnah. What 40-year-old males that have been studying for five, ten years have not done. This seven-year-old kid is almost done with the entire Mishnah. Another avrech that I know, literally, the synagogue can be full of people. His kids always stand out like a light from heaven. I don't know what it is, but everyone sees it. It's literally like they're walking around with like some type of light on them. The boys, the girls. If the place was dark, certainly it's good. they're going to put light on it just simply from their reflection. You could just see the holiness on these kids. And we're not talking about they don't play and they're abnormal. They're the most normal kids. They play and they jump and they get in trouble. But you can see these kids, they're different. They're different. They're like Sefer Torah. This little 10-year-old girl and this uh, 7-year-old or 5-year-old little boy and this teenager. All these kids, they're just like, which planet did they come from? And you see holy kids and you can tell the difference. You can tell the difference. Whereas unholy, unfortunately, is standard. The more unholy, the more you notice them. So the Ramban is telling us that after you have learned this secret about the woman's emission first, let me tell you and remind you of what we learned before, where he says, and you already know what was said concerning the tzaddik, whose wife said of him regarding his approach to marital union, as the Gemara in Masechet Nedarim, page 20b says, he uncovered a, a handbreadth and covered two handbreadths. And that it was, and that it was as though he was compelled by a demon, which is like a term for someone that is so focused on the task, it's as if he is controlled by somebody. And that's not to say that he didn't intend it for pleasure of the intercourse alone, but rather that he was in his eyes like one who is performing a deed a commandment that is not of his own desire, but rather that is the responsibility imposed upon him to fulfill the virtue of the commandment concerning heart conjugal rights that's mentioned in the book of Exodus, chapter 21, verse 10. And consider well and see how this tzaddik intended the highest, purest intentions, and his action was solely for the sake of heaven and the fulfillment of this commandment. And therefore he brought forth beautiful and decent children, and thus it will be for all who do everything that is related to the union for the sake of heaven. Here the Ramban gives us literally the secret of success. A person can think, listen, I want to be successful, so I'm going to do whatever I can to make a fortune. 
Well, you know that there are many people that tried to do the same exact thing and didn't succeed. In fact, there are even many people that succeeded in attaining the fortune and it turned into a curse where all of their relationships became fake, all of their life became simply dependent on material, and in essence, the success was a failure. So if you determine your success by, I want to be a winner, I want to be a billionaire, I want to surround myself by billionaires, you're not realizing the price that you're going to pay for that. Because the more connected you are to materialism, the further you're going to be from God, even if you are observant of Torah and mitzvot. Even if you're observant of Torah and mitzvot. Now, the Chachamim gave us countless examples of different types of people, different types of mindsets, and tried to give us some food for thought of how we're going to live our life. Here the Ramban is telling us, if you want to have success, then the first priority you have to have is knowing that there is a consequence to your actions. There are going to be fruits that come from you, whether you intend for them to or not. The quality of those fruits, the uh, significance of those consequences and how it impacts you, that is based on how you act. Fruits will come out. Whether they're rotten or they're beautiful, like Hashem's original creation, that's based on you. That's based on what's in your mind and how you manage your life how you manage your body. The more connected you are to materialism, whether it be lust, food, money, and all types of things, the more you can pretty much guarantee yourself that you are distancing yourself away from spiritual success. Why? It's inevitable that the closer you are to materialism, the further you are from God the further you are from spiritual success. So you may be able to do good things with the money you have, but that will come at a very, very dear price. And that's also never really sure, never really certain like people planned to originally. So now, the Ramban is telling us, after you've learned the secret of bringing male children to the world, and being patient, you also need to be reminded of what kind of children and how. And he brings the Gemara in Masechet Nedarim. The Gemara in Masechet Nedarim is full of insights of what kind of children one can bring to the world. One that is scared of the things that they heard today about the education system, about the reality of the kids that are in the playground locally to wherever you are today, about society at large, about the leaders leading society. 
They don't want to be part of that system. They don't want to be one that's literally with the system. They want to be an exception. They want their kids to be an exception. Well, let's see. The Gemara in Masechet Nadarim, page 20a, says, first and foremost, one needs to know that if he converses with women on a regular basis, male talks to females, women talk to males on a regular basis, it will bring you to sin. Why? Platonic relationships are a figment of your imagination. There is no such thing. Several people have heard me say this over the years and have rejected it only to find out the Torah is not wrong. We even had a case where one woman asked me, is it okay for me to sleep over this uh, couple's house because I'm babysitting the kids? I said, no, it's not okay for you to sleep over there. Go home. She goes, no, but it saves me money on rent. I said, wait, hold on a second. You mean live there too? She goes, yeah, no, I could just live there for a few months until I get, I'm like, no, this is not good. There, you have a young father, young mother, you're young, the kid's an infant. It's not healthy. Oh, come on. They're really friendly. And also, he teaches me Torah. I said, oh, this situation is just getting worse and worse. You're not allowed to learn one-on-one with any guy. Needless to say, this guy you work for. No, but it's a family member, and it's like you don't understand. He's really nice. In so many words, they didn't want to listen. And guess what happened? Not six months passed, and this person called me crying because the so-called nice family relative wanted to make her a second wife. And she nearly did become the second wife. So when the Chachamim say that excessive talking between a male and a female is a problem that could lead you to lewdness, that could lead you to immorality, take it as this is a fact. No less than gravity, no less than the fact that you need oxygen to live. Furthermore, one who looks at women will ultimately come to sin. Meaning, even if you learn Torah, you learn Torah, you do mitzvot, you go to synagogue, you eat kosher, but you don't protect your eyes. Know this, you will waste seed. You will be promiscuous when given the opportunity. You will fail the tests. Why? That's simply another fact of life. That's how Kadosh Baruch created the world. That's how Kadosh Baruch created the world. We need the sun to shine on us in order for us not to freeze to death. We also need the sun to keep a distance enough from us so we don't uh, uh, freeze and we don't get too hot and get dry. Same thing. You look at women, you'll make sins. You'll make sins. And those sins are very, very costly. Anyone that wants to know some of the details can watch either the Tikkun Abrit film where we talk about the consequences or you could, uh, you know, as far as the negative part of it, or you could watch the recent shiur that we did, uh, which is the rewards for Brit Kodesh, that talks about all of the blessings that come to someone that lives a moral life and protects their Brit. And one that isn't, obviously, is going to miss out on all of that. So all of this can either be gained or lost simply by talking and looking. 
This is even before the guy is talking about his own wife, she's talking about her own husband or anything. Then after this, the Gemara says that even if he's married, he should know that if he looks at women, whatever children he'll have, they're also going to have serious flaws in their character because that's in essence a form of measure-for-measure punishment for what he did. He looked at a woman that's not his wife. He'll see the result of that from the kids that he has. Now, Rabbi Yochanan Rabbi Yochanan ben Devai says a few things that explain a lot of what happened after the so-called sexual revolution 70, 80 years ago. Only difference is, is that Rabbi Yochanan has said this already 2,000 years ago. And he says as follows. The Malachi Asharet spoke to him. Meaning, this is not something he read in a book. This is him having a conversations with special angels of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And they told me these four things. I asked them, why are there lame people? People that don't have the ability to walk, move, and so on. They told me, because their parents, when they were intimate, they did it in an unnatural way. Even though it's allowed to be with your wife, to do whatever you want, so long as the seed goes in the reproductive organ. If the intimacy is so animalistic to the point where it's only because of that, it's all about that, it could create a so many words, a zgula for negative. You know, there's a zgula for positive, like right now many people are reading Parashat Aman, it's a zgula for panasah, for good money, for, you know, to make a good living, to improve your financial standards. But when a person is so physical because of all of the things they have in their mind that they saw in movies, you know, the, 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 the filth, the billboards, the shows, all that filth that they have in their mind, and they simply want to reenact this in their marriage... This can create problems. It can remove the holiness from your intimacy, make it purely about lust, turn things into something that's not really natural, and the outcome could possibly be, not always, but could possibly be punished with children that are lame. Rabbi Yochanan asks, why are there mute people? The angels say, because those same people, they kiss in that place. Again, halachically, a person can say, yeah, but uh, you know, they, they say that everything is allowed. Just because it's allowed doesn't mean it's recommended. Doesn't mean that it's appropriate. Doesn't mean that you should do it. You're allowed to go to a wedding, as long as it's a kosher wedding and there's no mixed dancing. It doesn't mean you need to go to every wedding. 
You're allowed to eat the food at the wedding. It doesn't mean you should eat like a pig. It doesn't mean. Just because something is allowed doesn't necessarily mean it's recommended or it's even good. Malachi Hasharet said, listen, you watched too many of those movies, didn't you? You spent a little bit too much time on the internet at 3 o'clock in the morning, didn't you? And you want to reenact it? Just know it comes at a risk. Why? You used the holy mouth that's supposed to pray to Hashem, the holy mouth that's supposed to speak to Hashem, the holy mouth that says Torah for something like that. In essence, it depends how you're judged in Shemaim. It could lead to such a judgment. Malachi Asharet are asked again by Rabbi Yochanan ben Devai. Why are there people that are both mute and deaf? Malachim say, because they talk during cohabitation about, you know, things that are inappropriate. Things that shouldn't be said. Not things that arouse her or him. There's no problem there. But if they start saying things that I don't necessarily need to explain, should never be said even at those times, It's not good. Especially when the neighbors can hear. Especially when it's in people's houses. All types of things. And why are there blind people? Because they gaze at that place. In so many words, again, all of these things lead to the same. In essence, a uh, cause which is people turn the holiness of intimacy into Kinsey's definition of sexuality. So now after we know some of these, we have to look at a positive end. So the sages saw that the children of Ima Shalom, the wife of Rabbi Eliezer Agadol, the rabbi of Rabbi Akiva, all of her children were extraordinarily beautiful. Not just physically beautiful, but spiritually beautiful. Literally, they were all holy kids. So the sages that were not suspected of any morality or any inappropriate thought, they saw that this is unnatural beauty. This is something amazing. What happened here? Teach us. Rabbanit, teach us. We want also have good kids like this, amazing kids, beautiful kids, holy kids that they walk into the room and the whole room is lit up. We want to have holy kids that already complete the shahs at the age of seven years old. We want that too. She says to them, it's all because of my husband. Obviously she was tzaddikah and she was tznuah and she, you know, modest and she, obviously. The old lady here is saying to them, that's already an obligation on me. My husband did something above and beyond his obligation. His modesty, his kedusha went above and beyond the obligation. Where when he would be with his wife, he would only reveal a small part of her body at a time. Now, of course, the uh, alacha is that when a man is together with his wife, they're supposed to be completely revealed. Unless the wife consents, 
that it's okay if it's not fully revealed. Meaning that it's supposed to be without, but if for whatever reason or another they prefer otherwise, where it's less is revealed, that's allowed. As long as it's in agreement with both. But she says here that he would only reveal a small part of her body at a time, and every time he wants to reveal another part, he would cover the other one. And he was together with her, like she said, like a, like a shed. What does it mean, like a shed? It says he was on a mission to fulfill a mitzvah. Obviously, this did not mean that he just wanted to fulfill his desire. Quite the opposite. He wanted to fulfill her desire. He wanted her to be the one that climaxes. He wanted her to enjoy. He was solely focused on fulfilling her desire, on fulfilling this mitzvah in such a fashion that it's as if he has no benefit in it personally. Certainly he obviously enjoyed it. And that's why when they ask Rabbi Elimelech Milizhinsk, the brother of Rabbi Zusha, they asked him, how come there's no blessing on the act of intimacy like there is on all of the other mitzvot? Before you eat, you make a blessing. If you eat a certain quantity, you make another blessing. You know, before you drink, you have to make a blessing. Before you wash your hand, you make a blessing. All of these different things that you do in life that you enjoy, you put on tefillin, you have to make a blessing. All these things, you have a blessing. So intimacy is like the ultimate joy. How come there's no blessing on it before you do it? Says Rabbi Elimelech Milijinsk. All of the other things that we make a blessing on, we bless HaKadosh Baruch Hu and thank Him for creating us, for creating this opportunity for us. And we can actually elevate ourselves to the point that we can actually fulfill that mitzvah 100% l'shem shamayim for the sake of heaven meaning that a person can eat only for the sake of heaven what does it mean only for the sake of heaven you're eating just for the sake of staying alive so you can actually do more mitzvot not to fulfill your your uh, your desire of different foods and different flavors and uh, different quantities and different no 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 all you want to do is eat just to be satiated so you can learn more Torah. You could be like Arav Matzliach Mazuz, Arav Shalom, that his whole life, he never drank cold water. Why? He says that's an unnecessary desire. Why do I need cold water? Why do I need that extra joy in this life? It could be the hottest day in the world, in the middle of Tripoli. Water, room temperature. No cold water. Why? Cold water is an extra plus, an extra desire. What, for what do I need it for? What do I need this extra pleasure for? Now again, we're not at that level. But a person can literally elevate themselves to a point that they can fulfill the needs of their life without necessarily taking their own interest or at the very least making it the priority. But Rabbi Elimelech Medizhinsk says... When it comes to intimacy, it's not possible to do it 100% for L'Shem Shamayim. That's why there's no blessing. Why is it not possible to be intimate just for L'Shem Shamayim? Because whether you like it or not, whether you want to or not, you're certainly going to enjoy it. There's a physical aspect of it that you have to enjoy. Number one, because if 
there's no desire, the body won't work. The body will not be able to do what it needs to do in order for the climax to happen, in order for even for the, the actual act to take place in some cases, especially for males. So you have to have desire there. On the other end, once the act is there, there's simply a pleasure there that whether you you know uh, want to or you don't want to, it's there. So you cannot do this mitzvah 100% Hashem Shemaim and therefore there's no blessing on it. But this does not mean that it's not holy and needless to say, this does not mean that it's not uh, even more important than some of these other mitzvot. But here we see that Rabbi Eliezer Gadol, the husband of Ima Shalom, got it to the highest level, apparently humanly possible, of being intimate L'Shem Shemaim. Although he enjoyed, although he's still a human being, his primary focus was fulfilling the mitzvah and limiting the joy to only what's necessary. So when she asked him, why, why do you do it this way? Why do you only see part of my body, not the whole thing? He says, I'm only uncovering the part that I'm looking at. Why? So I don't have my thoughts, if it's scattered all over and so much is available to me, I may have my mind scattered even for a second on someone that's not you. And chas v'shalom that I think about a woman that's not you, because that would almost be considered like the child that will come from this will be like a mamzer. Even though it's not a mamzer, he says it's almost like a mamzer. Why? Because a man that's thinking about a different woman while he's with his wife, technically, spiritually speaking, it's considered as if he's intimate with the other woman, not with his wife. So Rabbi Eliezer Kadol says it's almost like the kid is not going to be, uh, you know, our kid. It'll be me and somebody else. So what I'm uncovering is only what I can focus on right that second. So we see here a person literally focused on his mission, on his task at hand, with such clarity and focus, you would think this person is possessed, if you will. What is it like? Fahim gives an example of, let's say there is a man in a jewelry business. And this man has some expensive jewelry that he sells for millions of dollars. And one of these uh, big prospective buyers that is interested in one of his uh, pieces that's 10 or $20 million wants to come meet him at the office. Now, as his luck would have it, right, the day that the meeting is supposed to take place, a pipe blows up and there is all types of goodies in one part of the office. He calls the plumber. Plumber is not available right now. By the time the plumber comes, the meeting is already going to be over. So now he needs this place cleaned. And his only option right there and then is to clean it himself. He has to clean it himself. So now he's cleaning it, he's cleaning it, he's cleaning it. He doesn't want to clean it. It's filthy, it's smelly, it's disgusting. 
but he needs to clean it and he's completely focused on the task at hand. Why? Because he wants the end result. He wants this place to be pristine, to be beautiful. He knows that he cannot reschedule it to a different day. He knows that he can't make this meeting somewhere else. That'll be make the client think something suspicious. He knows the best solution. Only solution is to do it this way. So therefore, on his face, you see somebody that is focused on the task at hand. Not all of the other details. Now, of course, intimacy is beautiful. Intimacy is pleasant. Intimacy is enjoyable. Quite the opposite of what this example is, but the focus still remains the same. Rabbi Eliezer ben Horkinos, Rabbi Eliezer Agadol, he had the goal in mind. What's the goal? Fulfill this mitzvah. The mitzvah is to make sure that the wife is enjoying is to make sure that the wife is fulfilled, is to make sure to try your best, to make sure that the wife climaxes first. All of these different things, that was his focus. What about me? I am not as important. Now, of course, again, for the 50th time, not everyone is in this level of even thinking, needless to say, doing. But at the very least, in order to for a person to elevate themselves... If they look at just the ceiling on top of them, they're not going to get further in life. But if they look at the moon, perhaps they could land in the clouds one day. Perhaps they could at the very least be on the roof of the building. So we see the holy sages, how they elevated themselves. And here we see the outcome of that elevation are a bunch of kids that were so beautiful, both inside and out, that the sages took notice to the point where they wanted a shiur from the mother. They wanted a special shiur. Like, how do you have such holiness one after another? One, we can understand. Two, we can understand. Everyone, all of them are the best of the best. All of them, g'dolei adol. It's like people that look at Ravavadya, Yosef's children. All of them, Baruch Hashem, became Talmidei Chachamim. All of his children are huge rabbis. All of them have published books. All of them are extraordinary. One after another. This is not common even in the Torah world. You know, you'll have a big rabbi, I'll have several kids, maybe one of them is really special. But every one of them, he's the Gdolado, his son is the next, everyone is, this is abnormal. So when, when people ask them, Different things about his memory, different things about... It always had to do with Kedusha. Dedication to Torah and the issues of morality, protecting his eyes. So we see this is not an invention of Rav Vadya. We see this already in the Gemara. In the Gemara. Now, the Gemara says that when a person is with his wife, he's technically allowed to do whatever he wants. And they give an analogy of comparing someone that, you know, could eat any type of meat that he wants. He says, you're right, you could technically do whatever you want. But it all depends on what level of holiness you want to attain. If you just want to be like everybody else, fulfill the halacha, do whatever you want. But if you want something special and get something special as a result... 
then you can't expect to do the same thing as everybody else. Furthermore, the Gemara says that if a person thinks of a different woman while he's with his wife, this is forbidden according to the Torah, even if he's married to both of them. In Judaism, you're allowed to marry more than one woman. Even though this is not common or practiced today anymore, for the world of the Ashkenazim, they already have a decree for the last thousand years by Rabbeinu Gershom. By the way, that uh, uh, Takana is, I think it already matured or it's about to mature in the uh, next few years. I'm not uh, so sure that uh, anything is going to change for people because most people can barely you know, survive a marriage with one woman, needless to say, with two. But it certainly will have some halachic ramifications for different people that have uh, health issues in their life and so on. But uh, the Sephardi Jews have never accepted this takana, which means that up until recent history, there are certain parts of Sephardi uh, Judaism uh, that still married more than one woman in Yemen and Morocco. Again, not common, but needless to say, allowed. Now you would think... If you're married to two women, five women, whatever you're married to, naturally, you're thinking about more than one. Of course, you're not allowed to be together altogether. This is not some filthy Sodom and Gomorrah. But the point is that if he's with his wife, but he has another wife, it's not wrong to think about his other wife. Wrong. Says the Gemara, even if the woman that he's thinking about is his wife, he's not allowed to think about her. Why? You're only allowed to be thinking about the wife that you're with. The wife that you with. Now, the Gemara elaborates about some other situations that create problematic fruit, problematic children. And it actually gives nine different characteristics that bring problematic kids. Kids that have bad manners, bad midot, a wicked neshama that is going to have a very difficult time praying to Hashem or observing mitzvot, a neshama that uh, is deformed in other ways. He thinks she's a she, she thinks he's a he. All of these different things, they don't just happen for no reason. So Gemara says, you want to stay, you want to make sure that you've pretty much checked all the boxes to ensure that you don't have any of these issues, make sure you don't do what we spoke about before, but also here even more so, because this is easily applicable to everyone. Much more than before. So what does it say? Children of fear, children of forced woman, children of hatred, meaning children of fear is if, let's say, the husband just scares her, Constantly, and the, uh, he's one of these bullies in the house where everyone is scared to, uh, to do anything to, uh, to the point that uh, she is, uh, feels like she has to be with him, even if she doesn't want to be. Children of forced woman. This is something similar, but even worse, where he forces himself upon her, like a rape of his own wife. 
Children of a hated woman. This is a uh, guy that thinks about other girls. He thinks about other women while he's with his wife. It's considered as if he hates his wife. Children of an excommunicated man. He's on cherem. He's on excommunication from the community, either because he is a uh, heretic or he's a uh, someone that uh, brought uh, Jewish people to the authorities. He's in excommunication for a different reason. According to the sages, he's not allowed to be together even with his wife intimately until he fixes the situation. If he is, bad things will happen, spiritually speaking. Children of an exchanged woman. What's an exchanged woman? This is a husband that married two wives and thought about one while he's with the other. Like we said before, it's forbidden. Children of strife. This is the the couple got into a fight. Even if they love each other. But they got into a fight and they had one of these acts of uh, intimacy that's the outcome of the fight. Not because the outcome of love. To release their frustration. You release the frustration and created a new one. Children of drunkenness. Got drunk. Acted like animals. There are problems that you don't even realize it's going to come for another several years. Children of a woman who has been divorced in the mind of a husband, meaning he's already planning on divorcing her, but he still wants to fulfill his animalistic desire. Anything that comes out of it will be problematic. Children of mingling. This is a promiscuous woman that has a child and she's not sure who the father is. Children of brazen women. This is women that, again, similar type of uh, attitude, but she's with her husband, but she's in a, she's has the type of attitude where she is like uh, demanding things, and in so many words, she's like the man in the house. Let's just say that. I don't have to explain further. Now, here, the Torah is telling us nine different things that could literally be standard in some houses and could explain a lot of things in regards to why the kids they have are what they have. Masechet Kala adds another one, says the children of a sleeping woman, meaning that a husband that forced himself upon his wife while she was sleeping. These types of actions create problematic neshamot, meaning there is a place called goof in Shemaim. All the neshamot are there. There are good sections, bad sections, problematic sections, righteous section, wicked section, all types of sections, departments. When a person sanctifies themselves, elevates themselves beyond the physical where they know they'll benefit and enjoy physically, but they're not just focused on that, the neshama that they pull down from shamaim is from the good section, from the holy section, from the beautiful section, the inner and outer beauty. When someone completely ignores the words of the sages as fairy tale, as nonsense, as irrelevant, 
as I'm going to do whatever I want to do type of attitude, then do not be surprised if your, if your child fits into society perfectly, but not in a positive way that you would have hoped. So here, Rabotai, the Chachamim are telling us that when a person is just focused on their body and is ignoring the clear instructions of our holy sages, they're in essence not distinguishing themselves really much from the people that they wouldn't want to be like. But as Moshe Rabbeinu tells Am Yisrael, we see in this week's parasha, multiple times, Am Yisrael is said to be crying out. Am Yisrael cried out to Hashem. Cried out to Hashem. Multiple times they're crying out to Hashem. Moshe Rabbeinu says, Hashem yilachem lachem v'atem techarishun. You don't need to cry. Hashem will fight your wars. You shall remain silent. But people cry out to Hashem. Over and over again. So you tell them, why are you crying? Oh, I have this problem. I have that problem. Fine. So you have to fix it. Perhaps you can't fix the past, but you could certainly fix the present. You could do whatever you can to fix the present. And the person says, yeah, but this is difficult, and I'm busy with this, and I'm focused on building this. So the Chobot HaLevavot, nearly a thousand years ago, preceded the Ramban. And the second chapter in the fourth in second section fourth chapter called Shar Avodat Elohim the gate of serving God he says that there are ten levels of belief in HaKadosh Baruch Hu. ten levels of belief in essence ten types of believers the first level are people that are led by ignorance and by overwhelming effect upon them of their base desires to reject the Torah. They consider the Torah to be like the customs used to guide other people and the laws used to govern the fools. In so many words, these people are not exactly what you would call righteous. They think the Torah is old-fashioned, Igeret HaKodesh, old-fashioned, and what it says, all the things about how you're supposed to manage your sexuality and intimacy and old-fashioned customs of ancient people. Fools. Follow it. That's a certain type of believer. The second type of person, second level, are people who cannot deny the signs and the miracles that were manifested by the prophets due to their general recognition but they do have a doubt of the truth of the Torah, where their view of the Torah is close to that of the previously mentioned group. But 
They're saying God wished to point out to his creatures a way to which they, their condition in this world would be improved. So that's why he brought the Torah. And that's why he sent the prophet. But they don't believe in reward and punishment. Meaning, there's no such thing as if you do whatever you want that Hashem will punish you for it. If, as long as you're not killing anybody, as long as you're not stealing from anybody, if you just so happen to express your physical desires and lusts the way you deem fit, there's nothing wrong with it. There's no reward and punishment. Needless to say, there's no Gehenum, there's no Kafakela, there's no problematic kids. That all has to do with chromosomes and, and hormones and just bad luck. In so many words, there's no divine retribution, there's no divine judgment, there's no divine anything that is really carefully judging every single little tidbit of action that you even think of, needless to say, do. None of that. This is second type of believer. Third level are people of a certain, that are certain that there's truth in the Torah, but they think that it's the grace of God for the improvement and guidance of his creatures in this world, not for reward and punishment in the next world. And what misleads them is that in the books of the prophets, reward and punishment is constantly mentioned. But it doesn't mention reward and punishment in the next world. So they figure that any type of reward and punishment, perhaps it's in this world, you lose money, get sick, but there's no ganem. This is the third type of believer. I already know that every one of you is saying, every time I mention someone, you know that, oh yeah, I have a guy like that. I know a guy like that. I go, yeah, how do you know him? (laughs) The fourth level are people who are certain in their souls of the Torah and the truth of reward and punishment in the world to come. They know that there's reward and punishment. They know the Torah is real. So you think, oh, these people are tzaddikim. But they're inclined to the love of the world and its desires. They use the acts of God's service as traps with which to catch worldly advantage. And they accept the Torah outwardly, not inwardly. With their tongues and not with their hearts. In so many words, they're religious on the outside, but on the inside, rotten potatoes. Do you ever smell rotten fruit, rotten potatoes? Doesn't smell so good. It's even worse spiritually. Why? Say, listen, yeah, there's reward and punishment, I believe, but it's not really what the Gano movie said. It's a different, it's like you're embarrassed for like a year. They like make fun of you. Well, what if you're a murderer? You also get embarrassed for a year? Yeah, I think it's a year. What, what if you're a rapist? You also for a year. Everybody a year, no matter what you do. So Hitler, one year. You, one year. No, Hitler gets more. Wait, so who else gets more? And you start seeing them become tongue-tied. Saying, no, only Hashem knows this. Why? Because in reality, 
they know that their belief is fake, but they're not willing to go any further. Why? It's the connection to the desires and the love of the world, of this world, that keeps them where they are spiritually. That's the fourth level. Fifth level. People who are convinced on all of the points we've mentioned in regards to the Torah and the truth of reward and punishment in the world to come, but their souls incline them to love the world and they accept the Torah, but their aim is in doing so to gain reward from God as well as praise and honor from human beings in this world. This is a kind of hypocrisy and a form of concealed polytheism. In so many words, you're not serving God because you love God or you fear God. Rather, it's just your own self-interest. You don't want to get punished. And you want people to say nice things about you. Oh, you see him? Yeah, he's religious. Yeah, yeah, no, the kids go to the best uh, yeshiva or best money could afford. You say, yeah, they're, 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 yeah, but in reality, the inside is only, I'm only going to do this if I could, if I donate, is that, like, is God going to make me rich? If I, if I help you, are you going to do that thing I asked you to do? Everything is with self-interest. In so many words, it's, they've turned the Torah into a business while believing in it, while being religious. He's not talking about secular people here. Sixth level, people who are in their actions aim at the reward from the Creator in this world alone because of their love for the world and because they prefer its delights. And they fail to understand that the word, that the reward hereafter in its bliss. In so many words, all they want is this world. We've heard some of the heretics say that everything in this world is just for the sake of bringing God to this world. There's, don't worry about heaven. There's nothing in heaven. We've heard this from heretics. A person that only is focused on building himself a villa, an empire, a castle in this world is not going to be connected to Hashem in a high level of holiness or even in a level of holiness at all. Why? They're focusing on a temporary world. They may have built themselves a company, a business, a net worth that can buy 20 castles in this world. But in the next world, they're lucky if they have a bathroom. Why? Connection to this world, the deeper it is, the more disconnected one is from the next world. This does not mean that a person needs to be poor or unsuccessful or a failure. But if your focus, attention is on this world, you've already decided you're a failure. Not because of the money. You may have millions. But spiritually speaking, eternity speaking, you wrote yourself a bankruptcy bankruptcy statement. Seventh level. People who are convinced of all that we have mentioned, but their motives in serving God is the hope of reward in this world and the next, and they do not know the ways of serving God for His sake alone to magnify, to honor, to exalt him, only because this befits him. In reference to them, our masters of blessed memory have said, be not like servants who serve the master on condition of receiving reward, but like the servants 
who serve the master not on the condition of receiving reward. And let the fear of heaven be upon you. So here we see people that are simply doing everything for the sake of reward. This is a good way to start doing tshuva. But after a person has already done tshuva for some time, they can't just make the reward the only driving focus of their serving Hashem. They have to elevate their connection to Hashem to something even higher where they're serving Him for the sake of serving Him because He is the King. It's an opportunity for me to even serve Him in the first place. But this takes time. This cannot be the first day of tshuva, even though some people think it is. So, even that, again, is not that, you know, it's not bad. They're not secular people, but they haven't gotten to their goal yet. Eighth level, people who are certain in their souls of all that we have mentioned, but who assume that the service of God out of fear of punishment in this world and the next. In so many words, they only serve Hashem because they're afraid of punishment. This too, again, makes them religious but they haven't gone to the highest level of where they can be. We're not talking about the biggest tzaddikim in the world. We're talking about people of where everybody can get to. Everybody can get to. Technically, everybody can become a tzaddik. But the point is, is that even standard, to just serve Hashem just because you're afraid of punishment and no worry about reward, no worry about loving Hashem, no worry about serving Hashem and exalting Him, and like it says in this week's parasha, this is my God and I'll glorify Him, like simply only concern about punishment is great way to start, but not to stay that way forever. person has to elevate themselves. Certainly these are better, the last two are much better than the people before them that are materialistic, that only care about this world, only care about uh, you know a, uh, building their castle here and not really so aware or even focused on their eternity. At least these are connected to Hashem. But the point is, is that we see here that everyone has a place. Ninth level, people who believe in the Torah and the reward for its observance and the punishment for the non-observance in both worlds. Their intent in serving Hashem is for his sake alone, because this befits him. But they do not guard themselves against the things that are deter- detrimental to this service. The damage creeps in, and they know not from where it came. So here we see that a person can get to a high level, but they're serving Hashem because they're, they love him, they fear him, they worry about reward in this world and the next world, punishment in this world and the next world. They have all the right of except they're not careful in putting themselves in harm's way, either by going to places that are inappropriate, befriending people that are inappropriate, thinking, oh, I'm going to a business meeting in Las Vegas. I'm going to meet a network over there. You do realize you should not go, Right? No, it's business. It could be for marriage for all I care. It still should not be. Why? Number one, you could do business elsewhere. Number two, it's not really marriage. Number three, the people you're going to associate with are not going to get you closer to Hashem. If anything, they're going to get you further from Hashem in a place that is literally the epitome of Sodom and Gomorrah. And you're just going to go over there thinking you're going to walk into fire and stay unburned. You're not being careful. You're not being careful. 
And people that are not careful, eventually they get hurt. It may not happen now. It may have not happened yet. But don't think that the Yetzirah is sleeping at the wheel. They're just simply cooking you. And you don't realize it because you're like a frog in hot water. It just hadn't gone boiled yet. So a person that's not careful with their neshama, eventually they can lose everything, chas v'shalom. Even if they have the right ashkafa, even if they have the right ideology, simply the lack of being careful with who you associate with, that can cost you everything. One of the places we learn this from is from a, uh, the Torah, where in the prophets we have a, uh, a king, Achav, was a Rasha Merusha, one of the worst people that, uh, that ever lived, and uh, he befriended, he befriended one of the, uh, the righteous king, the Gemara in Masechet uh, Sanhedrin, says that uh, although King Yoshafat was a uh, righteous king, he befriended Achav, who was a Rasha. You would think, yeah, but he didn't go start and, uh, and uh, start worshipping idols like Achav. He didn't do, uh, do the bad things that Achav did. But who told you that you're allowed to become friends with wicked people? Who gave you the permission to do such a thing? And guess what? Achav did not want to listen to Da'at Torah when the righteous prophet came and told them that you shouldn't go to this uh, you shouldn't go to this uh, to this war. The prophet Michiyahu ben Yimiyah came to him and told him you shouldn't go to this war, you're going to die. Achav didn't want to listen to Da'at Torah and what happened? He died in the war. So you think, okay, so the bad guy died. No, no, but even the good guy, Yoshafat, also got punished. Why? In fact, Rabotai Karim, one of the scariest things I ever heard, Rav Yoemi Satmir, ever teach, is that he says that a person gets punished for making bad friends, for being friends with wicked people. So much so that a person can get his neshama replaced with the neshama of a wicked person. Or even the neshama of a non-Jew. For what? For befriending a rasha, for befriending a wicked person. This is also, the Magen Avraham says, this is why, in the name of the Mekubalim, this is one of the reasons why we every day we wake up and we say, Baruch Shelo Asani Goy, Baruch Shelo Asani Eved, Baruch Shelo Asani Isha. Why do we keep these blessings every day? Because if a person did something bad, befriended a wicked person, their neshama goes up to Shemaim, says to Hashem, listen, I don't want to come down. Why? This guy just became a friend of a pedophile. This girl just became a business partner with a rapist, with an idol worshiper, with an atheist. I don't want to come down. Hashem says, you know what? I agree with you. Let's give her a neshama of one of the idol worshippers like her friend is. So they could be two idol worshippers, friends together. Yeah, but until now she was keeping Shabbat.
Yeah, but who told you you should be friends with a uh, idol worshiper? Yeah, but until now that he, uh, he, he was, uh, you know, eating kosher. Yeah, but who told you that you should become uh, friends with an atheist? The Magen Avram says literally exactly what Rabbeinu Yoel Misatmer says, many many years preceded before him, but he gives even more details. So now we see what Rabbeinu Bachia said a thousand years ago, many years before both of them. When he said a person can have the right ashkafa, can have the right ideology, can watch Rabbi Reuven on the internet, and even come to lectures, but they're not careful with where they go, who they talk to, who they do business with, the sins, the desires. Yeah, listen, as long as I don't kill people, and I don't do some of the stuff you talk about in the, you know, in the lectures, I'm okay. Rabbi says those people, literally, they can have the right ashkafa, but the next day they can have a neshama of an of a idol worshiper. Why? Punishment. Now certainly you can fix that. Do tshuva. Hashem will give you back your, the good neshama. But it's painful. It's not easy. It's not easy. Tshuva is never easy. It's never meant to be. The 10th level. Our arrogance, our, um, I'm sorry, our uh, people who are certain in the truth of the Torah and of all that they are subject to in the way of reward and punishment in both worlds, who have awakened from their neglect and recognize in their hearts what they owe the Creator for His great favor and kindness towards them, they're not preoccupied with reward and punishment. Rather, they hasten to service of Hashem for His sake alone to magnify and exalt Him with longing and wholeheartedness on the account of their knowledge of Him and their grasp of His meaning. This is the highest of the levels among the people of the Torah. It's the level of the prophets and the tzaddikim who are completely devoted to God. Here we see Rabbutai, Rabbeinu Bachir giving us a map, giving us instructions, giving us a blueprint. You want to know how Rabbi Eliezer ben Holkinos got to such a level spiritually, intellectually, he simply got to that 10th level of devoting himself to Hashem wholly, 100%. And you're going to say, okay, well, I'm not Rabbi Eliezer ben Holkinos. Sure, Everyone knows you're not. And you're not going to be. But you don't have to be the first guy or the second guy or the third or the fourth or the fifth people that simply were disconnected from Hashem even while you were religious. Only thought about building a castle in this world. Building a building with your name on it. Rabbi Chaim Ivolozhin says that most rabbis in his generation Needless to say, the generation that we're in right now, he says the Erev Rav. How do we know? They want to build a building for their own name, not for the name of Hashem. Sometimes you see people act religious for their own name, for their own reputation, not for their connection to Hashem or servitude. So you don't have to be that guy either. Certainly every person that is watching this 
that is understanding the words that are coming out of my mouth may not be able to get to Rabbi Eliezer ben Hokinos, may not be able to fulfill everything that the Ramban says, may not be able to even understand what Ima Shalom was happy to live with. But you also don't have to go to the other extreme. You could certainly get better from wherever you are today. Because if we consider all of the benefits, we see that the benefits are fantastic. But as it always is the case, if we consider the downside of not doing it, of ignoring it, and simply becoming one with the society that we have today of deformed mentality, spirituality, and otherwise, the consequences are something that no one wants to deal with. No one wants their kids to have any type of spiritual problems, physical problems. No one wants to have their son tell them, I think I'm a girl, or their daughter, I think I'm a boy. No one wants to think of a different woman and feel even the need to think of a different woman while they're with their wife. No one wants to think of a different man while they're with their husband. No one wants the kids that come from adultery, whether it's actual adultery or it's psychological. No one wants these things. Even the people that have somehow found a way to cope with it. No one wants it. No one wants to be in a problematic relationship. No one wants to be in a relationship where there's no sanctity, where it's literally only physicality and they're just like horses and cats. No one wants that. Perhaps they never knew that there is something better available to everyone. Requires more effort. Requires more focus. Requires less you physically more you spiritually, intellectually, without turning this into some meditation activity. There's still a physicality involved in intimacy. But it's not just about the physicality. There's simply more to you than just your body. If you start thinking that way, the fruits will certainly look better and I think you'll agree they'll smell better too. Bezad Hashem, this too will inspire each and every single one of us to at the very least elevate ourselves more than today. Kedoshim to you ki kedoshani, you be holy because I am holy, is what Hashem said to us. He didn't say you have to be the highest, you all have to be like Moshe Rabbeinu. But he certainly commanded all of us to at least aspire to be better. Be'ezot Hashem, we succeed. Thank you very much for learning with me. And Be'ezot Hashem, we'll learn again together. Soon, to elevate each and every one of us closer and closer to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Kol Tuv,
Rabbi Eliezer ben Holkenos asked him, what can we do to protect ourselves from Chavrei Mashiach? He says, Torah and Gemilut Chasadim. Even if somebody does a, a nice thing or learns a lot or anything like that, it's never compared to bringing one of Hashem's lost kids that's been lost for the last 3,000 years back home. One of the beautiful things that we have in our organization is that we have both Torah and Zikri Rabin, because we have our kolels, we have our avrachim, and we also have our cube that we do around the world. Our lectures reach every corner of the world, Baruch Hashem, in multiple languages, but of course, we always want to do even more. while we have Kiruv work that we've done throughout the whole year, we also have the Torah that we're constantly producing more and more of, and last but not least, the uh, Chesed to feed the poor people in Israel. A very special thank you to all our amazing guests who show real Avat Yisrael by taking the time out of their busy schedule and sharing their ups and downs with us, all for the sake of Avat Yisrael. Yirgun Be'ezrat Hashem Olech Lechalek Me'ot Salem Mazon one of the big things that we have, aside from this campaign, you probably see this poster or something similar to it, is also we published some of the recent results that we have, or at least up to now, of the organization. And one of the reasons why we do this each year is because we want to make sure that our partners, our donors, our Talmidim, know where their money is going. Unlike everybody else that, you know, uh, says a lot, does a lot, we want to show you what these results are. I can tell you from my experience and a little bit of knowledge about the whole Torah world, I don't know of anybody else, uh, any other organization on planet Earth that produces dollar for dollar what we've produced over these last few years. This is nothing to be arrogant about. It's simply Siyat Bishmaya Kadoshbo who helped us. We made every sacrifice that we can possibly make in order to, to make it happen. Producing nearly 300 films, publishing 32 books, our own books, giving out 154,000 books for free. Giving out 154,000 books is not a cheap endeavor. Anyone that wants to do such a thing has to be completely committed to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, to his children, and most importantly, to have bitachon in HaKadosh Baruch Hu and his Torah. We also have fed over 160,000 people over these last several years. Each year during Pesach, the high holidays, throughout the year, we help a lot of people eat, help make sure that they have groceries, food, all types of things. And uh, you guys have seen many of the videos that are uh, that we've produced over the years to actually show you the people that are getting this food. You have here 160,000 people have eaten, nearly 300 Torah films. And then on top of all of it, we have 1.4 million USB CDs and cards that have been giving out for free. All of the work that we've done over the last 10 years 
on these USBs given out for free. Last but not least, 12,000 video and audio lectures available online in about 14 different languages for the world to watch for free. <laughs> ארגון בעזרת השם לקח על עצמו את אחת המטרות הקשות ביותר בדור שלנו לתקן עולם במלכות שדי לא להסתפק במשהו אחד לעזור רק לאנשים מסכנים רק לאנשים ניצולי שואה רק לאנשים שלא מכירים את אלוקים רק לאנשים שאין להם כלום בבית אלא לעזור לכלל ישראל בכל מכל ברוך השם, חפץ השם בידינו הצליח למעלה ממיליון יהודים ויהודיות נעזרו על ידי ארגונים בעזרת השם. רק תדמיינו לכם איזה עוצמה היה לכל אחד ואחת מהשותפים שזכו להיות כל אחד כפי כוחו ויכולתו, לאיזה תוצאות הצליחו להגיע ולאיזה תוצאות עוד יצליחו. פורים שמח לראות את השלטים, נעלה עכשיו למעלה, כמו קצת חייש, את הלימוד. ברוכים הבאים, אפשר לראות כאן. כולם יושבים לומדים, איזה רעש של תורה, איזה רעש, איזה רעש, והנה יש פה עוד בית מדרש. וגם פה יש, השם הכל עמוס. הדמיון הזה הוא לא דמיון כל כך רחוק כי כמו שהתורה אומרת בפיך ובלבבך לעשותו ככה גם בדבר הזה כל מי שירצה, כל מי שרוצה או רוצה להיות שותפים איתנו, עם הארגון הקדוש והנפלא הזה, שכל כוונתו לשם שמיים, להגדיל תורה ולהאדירה, להרים קרן התורה, לעזור לכל אחד ואחד מעם ישראל, בכל העניינים, כל המישורים, מהילד הכי קטן, שצריך מטרנה וטיטולים, עד האיש הכי 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 מבוגר, שלעולם לא הניח תפילין, ורגע לפני המוות דואגים להניח לו תפילין. אם גם אתם רוצים להיות שותפים בכאלה דברים גדולים, בעשייה של תורה ועבודה וגמילות חסודים, ברוך השם, ארגון בעזרת השם, כאן. מצדכם, לשירותכם, יחד עם כלל ישראל. כמעט מיליון וחצי דיסקים, דיסקונקים, שחילקנו, כל הדברים האלה בחינם, יותר מ-12 אלף שיעורים, אז כל הדברים האלה, מתי שבן אדם רואה כמה ההשקעה שלו, אם זה בבתים, מניות, בכל מיני דברים, והוא רואה שהמניה עלתה 10% במקום אחד, ו-1,000% במקום שני, אז הוא מבין איפה להשקיע פעם הבאה. ואותו דבר פה, יש הרבה אנשים שברוך השם צופים את השיעורים שלנו, שיעורים של הרב אפרים, שיעורים של הרב שרביט, ושאר הרבנים בארגון, ועכשיו זה הזמן להיות שותפים בדבר הגדול שאנחנו עושים ברוך השם. One of the reasons why we do this, why we show these numbers, is because we want to show everyone what we've done to give you an indication. an indication of what we can do in the future. So this is the time where we need as much of your help as possible to push yourself more than you typically do. If you typically donate a couple hundred dollars, donate a thousand. If you, uh, if you could afford uh, the uh, uh, $8,000, $15,000, $50,000, whatever you could afford, this is the time to do it because this is going to be the help that we have to help all of these Avachim, to feed these people and perhaps Bezal Hashem one day to get that building that we've been uh, wanting to, uh, to build here in, uh, in the United States to build a community. But the, all of these things require millions of dollars. If not now, then when?